Welcome, everybody, to ASCP's podcast, Our Experience. My name's Chad. Alongside me is my tag team partner, Tom. And we are going to talk about another pillar of industry today. And that pillar of industry is Al Carter. And to kick it off, uh, give some description, there's a famous quote from Top Gun, actually the original, that the rules exist for your safety and that of your crew. Al Carter is the leader of the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy. His job is sifting through 50 ways to do anything. It's methodical, it's detail-oriented work, and finding consistency and pushing for continuity is even worse. So welcome, Al, to the show. Thank you, Chad and Tom. Great to be here. So to kick it off, Al, this is a lot about you know your story as a pharmacist. So can you give us some background? How did you get here? Sure. I started off in uh, community pharmacy. I spent probably about 16 years in community pharmacy, first as a pharmacist on a bench, and then moving into pharmacy recruitment, and then pharmacy regulatory affairs, where I spent the most of my career. And so I've been interacting with boards of pharmacy since probably about 2007, 2008. I then served on the Illinois State Board of Pharmacy and have been really engaged or was really engaged with NABP throughout my career, throughout those years. And so, you know, once the opportunity came up to take on this new challenge and this new role, I applied for it and and the executive committee chose me. So uh, here I am. Uh, This is year three for me and it's been great. But, you know, I started right after COVID. So it's also been very interesting and fascinating in the same aspect. Absolutely. And I I think it's somebody at a meeting last week made a comment to me that I was like the one of the more tenured executives for a pharmacy association. And I had to sit there and think about it and be like, wait a minute, I've only been in this job for five years, but there has been a lot of turnover in, in those executive roles. But I think that's good. I mean, I think we have a new group sort of shepherding pharmacy and taking it forward. So it's it's exciting that you're there. And you had kind of a unique sort of transition because you replaced somebody that had been there for a very long time. I think Carmen, I don't know how long Carmen had been there, but it was quite some time. Carmen had been with NABP for 35 years. Yeah. So yeah, it's, you know, he's a living legend as they say it. And so, yes, I had to, I had the hard task of replacing him in a very big shoes to fill. (laughs) Well, I mean, you've, you've done a great job and it's exciting to be able to work with you on issues. And really, you've, at least in my mind, have opened up NABP. I'd never been to an NABP meeting before this year. And I think, uh, you know, the work that you do is sometimes not always reflected by the pharmacists out in practice. And there needs to be a, a better bridge to that. And, and they need to be more aware of, of the work that you do, not only from like our, our roles in associations, but from bench pharmacists that do what they do every day. It's important. And getting, yeah. getting things done is important for them from that perspective. I completely agree. You know, I, I think being involved with, the, with your state board of pharmacy is key. Just understanding what, how the board of pharmacy works and, and the requirements and regulations and, and that whole process, getting involved and getting active is is vital to the survival of our profession. One question I'll ask is, I know in my, I've been a pharmacist for 20 something years. It used to be that the boards were all led by pharmacists. And more recently, the boards are led by fewer and fewer pharmacists. Can you talk about that and what impact that has? Well, well, most boards are still led by majority pharmacists. What you're starting to see with boards is boards are starting to add a pharmacy technician member. 
and then most boards have either one or two public members uh, as well. So it's still led by practicing pharmacists, but now they're they're diversifying the board a little bit more by bringing in a pharmacy technician, as pharmacy technicians' roles have stepped up, and then also there's always a public member just to give a different perspective, you know, and give that public voice. Nice, Al. Yeah. Let me let me ask you. Give me a day in the life of of Al Carter. What are the challenges that you're facing? You know, what kind of keeps you uh, up at night? You know, those type of things. Oh, gosh, that's a time. I don't know if we have enough time on this <laughs> podcast to go through a day in the life of me, but I'll try and do it, uh, do it justice. So first, it, it's interesting because, you know, in a normal day, what we're doing is is. You know, like if I look at this week, so we had a steering committee in to look at a uniform jurisprudence exam, which is made up of members from different boards of pharmacy, state boards of pharmacy. And then we also have members from the colleges of pharmacy and the CEO of AACP here. And that steering committee met for two days or a day and a half to talk about a uniform jurisprudence exam, the framework of what that will look like. And, you know, what needs to be included in this exam, what needs to be required of states that will potentially utilize this exam, what have you. After that, I had, had to come back to my office and respond to three reporters that are uh, looking at the semaglutide and the Wegovy and Ozempic shortages and compounding pharmacies doing that. I wanted just some, they wanted some more information and feedback. But then I also had to, had to respond to two customer complaints on pharmacies and specific boards uh, in specific states. And we'll get these types of complaints all the time. And it's funny because they think that we, being the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy, have regulatory authority. But right. that's exactly the exactly not the case. It's the exact opposite. We, NABP is here to support the boards of pharmacy. We provide them with tools and resources to allow them to continue to do their job and to focus on a vision of protecting public health. But the boards of pharmacy have independent authority uh-huh. and we don't have any authority whatsoever. So it's always funny to get these complaints and these weird emails like, well, this pharmacist did this and this pharmacy is doing this and and we need you to do something about it. And we're having to respond, well, you need to reach out to your state board of pharmacy right. because they are the group that has the authority to, to take action. Yeah. I'm sure you you have some uh, crazy stories that uh, I don't know if you can share any of those with us, but even when just being there for a few years, I'm sure you've come across a couple uh, crazy experiences that pharmacies or board of pharmacies have even maybe contacted you about or, or called you about. Could you share any of those with us? I'll tell you a scary story. So we've had a couple instances, and this probably maybe three or four months ago, we had this individual call us and and speak to our customer engagement group and and was talking about how like he couldn't sign on to his computer and like he lived in a state of I think it was Arizona or something like that but that you know he was frustrated with the board and everybody like he he just went on like this political just like rampage and was and like at the end of it he was talking about like how he was going to go and shoot up Whoever and and so we had to call the board and call law enforcement in the state of Arizona to flag this individual and to basically go check it out because like we have to take those types of threats Absolutely. serious. Oh yeah, and, and it, it was it was like very scary, but it's like like 
the craziness that we deal with, and I mean, I know, I don't want to say everything is mental health or what have you, but, you know, as we look at what we're seeing with like opioid use disorders and addiction and, and mental health issues that have just gone undiagnosed or what have you, and, and pharmacists being able to step in and treat this, like, we have so many opportunities within a profession to do so. And like just hearing different calls and different people sharing some positive, some negative, you know, information, we can't take any of that lightly. And so we have to take very serious precautions and very strict precautions to make sure that, you know, we are doing what we're seeing and protecting public health, but also protecting our members. Absolutely. So Al, you talked a little bit about a unified jurisprudence exam. Talk a little bit about that. Do you do you foresee a day when a pharmacist, maybe they're not licensed nationally, but go through a process that is more a, a standard process for everybody in the United States versus what we do now, which is the NAPLEX and then a state jurisprudence exam? And then after that, maybe talk a little bit about what are the big priorities of NABP? Sure. In regards to your first question around a uniform jurisprudence exam, I don't know in my lifetime uh, if we'll ever see something where it's accepted and utilized by all states. Some states have great, great processes in place and have, you know, have been writing, you know, the jurisprudence exam for many years. And it's the same people writing it, have a great exam, have great success with it and have rules in place to require that. Whereas other states may not have the resources that are necessary to be able to write the jurisprudence exam and, and, and you know, review their questions and everything else. And so, so those states may use that as, as an option. I, I, I would probably say by the time I retire that in the time that this, it's going to take to develop this type of exam, that we may see half the states. And, and that's just Al Carter speaking on a hypothetical guess there. But I, I'm not for sure. It, you know, it's something that the membership wanted us to evaluate and examine and then move forward with the development so that, you know, for NABP, we provide tools. and As I mentioned, we provide tools and resources to the boards. Some boards need to use these tools and resources. Other boards do not. I mean, so like if you look at certain states like California has their own jurisprudence exam, Arkansas has their own jurisprudence exam and has a great process and implementing and utilizing their jurisprudence exam, and it's been working well for them. I wouldn't see, you know, states, those states move into a uniform jurisprudence exam because, you know, what they have is working for them. It's meeting the needs uh, that the practice in their state. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, every state is independent. So we deal with 54 independent jurisdictions as far as boards of pharmacy, and the tools and resources they need are different amongst each state. So, you know, at the end of the day, maybe 2025, but that's, you know, we're talking maybe 10 years down the road that I'd see that. But I, you know, I, I could be wrong. I could be surprised, but I think it'll be a slow uptake at first and then potentially, potentially additional states will come on later on. But we shall see. It's going to it's going to take a while to get there because just to develop the exam is going to take is a very long process. And then in regards to your second question, as far as our initiatives, we made an announcement that we developed a platform called Pulse by NABP. And what Pulse is, is Pulse is really focused on DSCSA, which is Drug Supply Chain Security Act, and a track and trace 
uh, requirements that are going to be put in place for manufacturers, distributors, all the way down to the pharmacies. And so we've invested a lot of time and money into developing this platform for the boards of pharmacy and then also for pharmacies to utilize. That's a big priority for us. One thing that NABP has also, since I've come on board, one you know we've done a little different is, is we've gotten really into the advocacy, advocating for pharmacists. And so you think about the MAD Act and, and as I mentioned earlier, opioid use disorders and substance use disorders. We, we've done a lot of work with Congress to talk about pharmacists in this space and how pharmacists can help benefit the spread of treatment for those type of disorders. And so we we will continue to advocate in that way, working with the DEA, working with SAMHSA, working with the FDA and, and the CDC on different types of needs for the general population that pharmacists can serve in that arena and and do justice for providing just quality patient care. Because you and I know, Chad, that that not every patient is the same. You know, not every patient can drive to their pharmacy. You get into rural areas or you get into these urban areas where individuals are, don't have cars or are living below the poverty line. And, you know, it takes them three modes of transportation to get two miles. And the access to, to pharmacy or to healthcare isn't the same as it is for maybe you and myself or, or, or others. And so how can we bring, how can we expand access of patient uh, to a pharmacy or just access of healthcare in general to all patients and looking at different ways to do that you know digital health is going to be big moving forward and so you know we'll be focused on that our current president uh, Lenore Newsom uh, out of Arkansas her presidential initiative is really focused on mental health and well-being and so you know we have we're, we're going to be doing a lot in that space in that arena over this coming year to provide pharmacists and provide boards of pharmacy pharmacies with tools to help with mental health, to help with well-being, and, and to just provide awareness. Because there's a big stigma associated with mental health. There's a stigma associated with addiction. And so how do we remove those stigmas? How do we educate healthcare professionals? How do we educate the, the public that pharmacists are there and are there to help and, and reduce, you know, reduce those barriers to that care? And so those are some of the things that we're working on. We're continuing to work on working conditions, you know, the the working environment for pharmacists and pharmacy technicians, workforce challenges that exist and ways that we can remove uh, some of those burdens and just really talk about pharmacy and how pharmacy is key to healthcare and how, you know, there are amazing careers in pharmacy and what can we do to educate the patient on what pharmacists do and the responsibilities of pharmacists. And, and so those are some of the big things that we're working on. We always have, you know, some of our smaller items that are ongoing and have been ongoing for years. But if you want to talk about some of our big initiatives, it's definitely DSCSA and Pulse by NABP, but then mental health, well-being, uh, working conditions. And one thing I did mention is bringing awareness to uh, illicit and fake drugs. And so we have Safe.Pharmacy, which is a website that's free that we go in and we have a team that just scours the Internet looking for rogue Internet pharmacies that are acting illegally. And we'll provide information on this website so that if a patient is going to go buy a, a drug online, they can come to this website first and make sure that the pharmacy that they're going to buy this drug from is legitimate and not acting illegally. And so we continue to work on that, continue with some public safety awareness campaigns to, to bring more attention to the safe.pharmacy so that so that we can provide that awareness and just educate the patient as well so we can keep them safe. 
And so those those are big buckets. I probably spoke, uh, <laughs> you know, for, no, not at I all. can I, speak I, for another all. 20 minutes on it. But yeah, no, that's I, where we're focused no, on. And I appreciate um, those. Co- First of all, from my perspective, I feel the change in NABP from the advocacy perspective. So I, I applaud you for that because that's not something I was used to in my prior career or when I first started at ASCP was seeing NABP take more of an advocacy step. And I think that's great. And I, th- and I, I also am thankful that you brought up that not everybody you know, walks to the corner drugstore mm-hmm. uh, because that's a big issue for, for our members is that you know we have residents in skilled nursing facilities. We have people that live in assisted living. Some of our members are correctional pharmacies. And <clears throat> one of the biggest issues that's starting to really have an impact on our sector probably has had a bigger impact on correctional pharmacies for a long time is the idea that access to methadone for drug addiction has not been something that we've been able to participate in. Because if you think about it, you have to send somebody from the nursing home to the clinic to get their methadone every day, just like a person that that lives in the community. And that's just not something that nursing homes can manage and certainly not something that correctional facilities can manage, nor probably would they want to. So those populations have been sort of denied access to some of those treatments that we know are, are beneficial. And it's getting better, and they're writing rules for it right now, and I know you've been, been part of that. So thank you for that. Sure. No problem. Al, let me, let me ask you, we've been talking a lot about getting provider status for pharmacists. You know, we have a pharmacy in almost every town in America, and the availability of those pharmacists. I know that we during the pandemic, you know, we were able to do immunizations and, and that was a big push. But, you know, as we see the nursing shortage happen and, and get worse and worse, which is going to be an epidemic of its own someday. And primary care physician shortage is is certainly happening. You know, we're on the side that 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 we need the government to approve provider status for, you know, basic infections and and things that pharmacies and pharmacists are are, are trained to do now. What's your thoughts on on that, and how would you like to see that develop? I completely agree with you, Tom. I, I think that pharmacists need to be recognized for the service that they provide, and, and and I think it's going to be challenging. I mean, it's this has been a fight because there are others that are opposed to pharmacists getting you know provider status because they look at it like a territory, uh-huh. you know, like it's a turf war or something like that. I, I think what you're going to see, Tom, is I think you're going to start seeing more states start to recognize pharmacists as healthcare providers and do provider status with state programs before we start to see it federal. That's, and this is, again, yeah. just my personal opinion. I, I think it's it'll be in the states that have a, or where they're working with, you know, some of these third-party payers and, and they're reimbursing pharmacists for some of the activities they're doing, they're seeing a lot of benefits. You're, you're starting to see that healthcare experience for the patient increase because of the access to pharmacists and pharmacists having the capability to do so much. Because as we know, not everyone has a primary care provider. Right. And as you mentioned, with the shortage of, of physicians and the shortages of nurses, you know, it's going to be very difficult for everyone to have a primary care provider. But everyone knows their local pharmacist uh-huh. and everyone goes to their local pharmacist for all of their questions, healthcare questions before they reach out to a doctor or anyone else. And so once more start to recognize what pharmacists have the capability to do instead of just recognizing pharmacists during emergencies to help them get out of, you know, whatever jam that they're in. I think you're going to start seeing that from the federal side, but I think we're going to see more states do it than we will, uh, you know, 
from uh, provider status from Medicare. Al, do you think that's a, like, when I think of what you said earlier about mental health and workforce, obviously pharmacists can play a role in the in helping people address mental health issues, patients, but there's also their own mental health that we worry about. And I feel like the provider status, you know, whether you call it that or it's payment for clinical services or non-dispensing services is an answer to really both of those issues for pharmacists. It, it improves their mental health because they, I think they would prefer to spend more time doing those activities. And then it also makes it more appealing from a job perspective and it helps the workforce issue. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I think it is. The only other concern, because, you know, pharmacists are dealing with shortages in certain settings as well. And if you look at the current enrollment in pharmacy schools, there's been a significant decrease in enrollment numbers. And so like in the next three years or probably three years from now, when, you know, there's a lower number of graduates, it could be a dire situation for pharmacists. And so what we as a profession have to do is we have to start recognizing pharmacy technicians for services that they can provide so that they can so that they can do more of those operational administrative roles so that pharmacists can focus on that clinical aspect. And then I think, you know, with that, you'll have the capability to provide those clinical services as a pharmacist. But we also have to keep in mind that when we get provider status, we, we need to make sure that we can't do it by ourselves. And we need to make sure that we have the, the, the recognition and the, the correct authority for pharmacy technicians to do some of those more operational and administrative duties as well and pay them for it. Yeah. Speaking of that, and I think it's a very, very good point. I mean, everybody knows that the heartbeat of pharmacy is really that the certified technicians that really make it run on a, on a day-to-day basis. And we've seen here through COVID that there be labor shortages. It's very difficult to get a trained, certified technician, a good certified technician. And we've seen salaries due to inflation, the economy go up and up and up. And so one of the biggest complaints I get across the nation from from my friends in pharmacy is it's just hard to find good people. And and even when we find good people, if they're if if they're great hard workers, they're gonna get opportunities elsewhere. How do you see that? alleviating or being able to, to alleviate, or, or, or do you? Do you think that we need to, to, to do something different, approach it differently? Yeah, I think there's two things that we have to do. I think, one, we have to pay pharmacy technicians. And it's going to be challenged with the current reimbursement model uh, that's in place. And so we have to figure out a way of how to, to promote pharmacy technicians as a career. And I know, you know, there are organizations that are doing just that with PTCB and and others, but we have to figure out a way of how do we promote pharmacy technicians and how do we promote this as a career choice in a a career field? And some states are doing great. You know, New Hampshire has this like certified or advanced certified pharmacy technician where they can do a lot of things that the pharmacists can currently do with, you know, outside of those clinical judgment activities. You're starting to see other states that are moving in that direction as well. Arkansas is doing a lot with pharmacy technicians. Idaho has been doing a lot with pharmacy technicians, allowing them to do more services. And you also see what COVID has done. COVID has, I mean, before COVID, I think there were like five or six states that allowed pharmacy technicians to administer vaccines. And after COVID, I mean, for a while with the PrEP Act, you had every state had the capability to do that. And then after there were, there were many states 
that moved in a direction of making it permanent so that pharmacy technicians can do that. I think that's moving those in the, in the right direction. But I think we as a profession have to promote pharmacy technicians as well because we all know that when you know practicing in a pharmacy, you're only as good as your as your best tech. Uh-huh. And if your best right. tech goes down, like it's a struggle for every pharmacist. And so how do we continue to promote those pharmacy technicians, but how do we make it a career for them yeah. and, and make sure they see that there is a great career as a pharmacy technician? Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Well, Al, um, how about a parting shot? Not to put you on the spot, but what message would you give to pharmacists out there from your position, from NABP's position? What's your parting shot to pharmacists? There, there are two things I would say to pharmacists. One is... As a profession, pharmacists, we have to educate patients on what pharmacists do. We need to do it nationally. We need to do it in the states. We need to do it personally. And so we need to make sure that patients know what pharmacists do and why it's so important. Our roles are so important what we do. Second, and actually I'm going to do three. So there's three. Second is your board of pharmacies are friends. A lot of people, and even I, when I was going through practice, like, oh, gosh, Board of Pharmacy is coming in. I was like, I do not yeah. want to deal with this. I'm scared. It's the principal's office. Of, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it is. It is. Boards of pharmacies are there to help protect public health. And part of that is protecting the environment that we practice in. And so if there's ever concern, make sure you reach out to your Board of Pharmacy. Don't be afraid of them. And third, and Chad, you know this best because we've been talking about it since COVID, is collaboration is key. We're never going to get where we need to be going at it on our own. We have got to do it together. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Al. I appreciate it. You're an awesome guest and appreciate what you're doing and and all you're bringing to NABP and really making it more of a transparent process and organization for pharmacy. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Tom. And, And I have to say, like, that Top Gun quote at the beginning, I'm a huge Top Gun fan, so I'm going to have to steal that from you, Chad. Yeah, that's mind. good. I love it. All right. <laughs> thank you, Al. Thank well, you thank for what you, you do. Yeah. What NABP does for us. Thanks, thank you both. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Tom. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you on the next Our Experience podcast. Thanks, Kevin.